Hello, hello, hello. My name is Rain Pettigrew. I will be your host for this evening. And tonight we are going to be talking about how smart technology has affected how the U.S. government deals with terrorism. To start off with, we're going to start talking about terrorism and its evolution in the United States. We're going to touch briefly on historical terrorism. Actually, it might be a bit more than briefly. And we're going to talk about some laws that were put into place after 9-11 and some stuff that happened before 9-11. So, before 9-11, there was something that was put into place after the Cold War called the FISA wall, F-I-S-A. And that stands for, hold on, it's here somewhere, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. And this was put into place after the Cold War because so much, uh, so many people in the government were going through um, data and, although I don't think it was called data back then, they were going through our records and our phones and practically spying on us because they were so concerned about uh, terrorism. And there was no laws put into place to stop this. And so after the Cold War, the um, government decided that um, procedures were needed to put into place. There is a, um, a Latin saying, and I'm not going to say it correctly, so I'll just say the English translation. It says... Who will guard the guards and who will watch the watchmen? And this was the basis for the FISA wall. Um, and so it was created after the Cold War to prevent the government from indulging in, into espionage. Um, the government had no boundaries and gathered intel however it could be. And it was infringing on the privacy of those under um, their care. And this was all due to the fear of terrorism. Um, and probably a bit of control as well. We know how the government likes control. And so, we're gonna, we're gonna go over some of this stuff, and, um, throughout this segment we're gonna talk about that, and kind of defining terrorism, and then we'll get into how technology, smart technology has changed it, because... Um, the government has been watching for years. They have, they have their warrants. They, they have to have warrants now and they have to have reasonable cause to be watching, but your data can be shared anytime, anywhere. And, um, especially with smart technology now, it's just extremely easy to find out. So, um, back on topic. So terrorism. Um, a definition I found online was terrorism is a tactic often employed by rebels, rebels in civil war for various purposes. Terrorism may act, additionally serve as a spoiler to peace processes. This research program made, uh, makes clear that any accounting of terrorism should seek, it can seek to contextualize it particularly when the setting of much terror is insurgency and civil war. So, that is a baseline of terrorism. Um, 
with its, uh, you know, its base word being terror. And, um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, and terrorism, uh, we're going to touch on historical terrorism, and so might as well go ahead and do that now. Um, Historical terrorism has been around since um, forever, really, starting with um, back in the Ethiopian days, and uh, I mean, there's the Taliban, there's so many things out there, and it's only been recently redefined um, for North America with 9-11. Um, terrorism was completely classified differently back then, and you have domestic versus international uh, terrorism now. And so, there's just a lot, a lot out there. And, um, so, after, uh, the Cold War, the wall was put into place, and for some people, um the the laws that were put into place almost seemed like a straitjacket um, to some. And according to some of the research I've done online, um, the um, attack on 9-11 could have been prevented um, if it wasn't for the wall that was put in place um, it was called the Oper Wall, um, or the Fissa Wall. Um, Oper, uh, they considered it a wall and a gatekeeper to ensure that the FBI and CIA didn't just talk to each other, and failure to pro- follow the procedure could lead to adverse personnel actions. So because of this, um... The the person that was taking flight training and didn't have any concern about how to land a plane, um, and he was on a watch list, but because the CIA was not allowed to give out information, um, they were not able to get a warrant for him. Now, easily, they um, the... CIA could have said, okay, let me, if you have probable cause, let's go ahead and, and, um, talk to the Oprah wall and, um, let's see what we can do. But, um, out of fear, because apparently some back then, even talking, uh, back and forth, uh, your concern for your job was a thing. And, um, between the CIA and the FBI, the, um, there are very strict laws put into place because of how the government dealt with the Cold War. So, um, because of this, uh, the people that were, uh, that were looking at this man were not able to get accurate... We're not. Well, they weren't able to get a search warrant, and um, some people think that this search warrant could have prevented 9/11. Um, but because of all of the laws put into place, 
they were not allowed to get that information. So after 9-11, the Congress joined together and decided they would uh, form the Patriot Act, and which is a topic we will go into a little bit later, but they... Um, they formed the Patriot Act to help um, the government work together and kind of like that Beatles song, come together right now. Yeah, sorry, that was stuck in my head. So, there you go. Um, so, they formed the Patriot Act which um, did not replace the wall, but kind of, um, they, it was like the wall was rewritten. And so um, they, and excuse all of my ums, this is my first podcast, so I am doing my best, and I hope it, is I hope it is enjoyable and educational to whoever is out there listening. Um, I saw this really funny post the other day about how um, pigeons are not real. They are just a um, they are just a government tool for um, for surveillance, and then underneath. The comment was, well, I can honestly say I've never seen a baby pigeon. And so, that just popped into my head. Um, Sorry, but back to the Patriot Act. It was, um, it was signed by George W. Bush on October uh, 26th. So, very, very soon after um, 9-11. And it was actually an abbreviation, uh, and it was, its full title is Uniting and Strengthening America by Providing Appropriate Tools Required to Intercept and Obstruct Terrorism. So U-S-A-P-A-T-R-I-O-T-A-C-T, there you go. Um, Well, I guess ACT was that a bit different, but there you go. So... It's really cool how they can just make acronyms out of anything. And this, the purpose of the Patriot Act was, it was a response, an obvious and quick response to the terrorist attacks. And because so many people in the government felt like it could have been avoided if only, um, if only... They had had the ability to gather that information from the CIA, but since it was not, there was a specific word, I think um, it was a simple technicality like A instead of D, um, which changed because because of this act. And um, they just, so many, so many people think that it was an issue. Um, so the Patriot Act was created 
and kind of the wall, the FISA wall, the FISA Act is still in place, and that stands for Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. Um, but it, this says that after 9-11, the wall laws were tested and rethought because the government believed um, the guidelines limited contacts between the FBI and the, the Justice Department's criminal division uh, in cases where the FISA collection was taking place in order to avoid running a foul on the primary purpose text used by some courts. And a lot of my resources are actually coming from um, Canopy. And this, by the way, is a free um, for, I think, for students. If not, I think you have to pay. But it's a whole bunch of different documentaries and lectures that just give you so much information. And so this one was from The Great Courses. And this, I'm not kidding, there's 24 episodes in this series and so many of them. It's all just talking about surveillance in the United States. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, the one I'm currently listening to is Geolocation. And um, that one's talking about uh, you are where you go. And uh, this is the summary, at least according to advertisers, district attorneys and criminal investigators. Take a look on how geological location data is gathered, uh, ranging from the voluntary given. Well, apparently I have to click on it to see the rest of it. Uh, let's see. Given such as social media check-in to the improperly acquired um, and then see what investigators can do with such data. So, and it's a really, really interesting, interesting blog. I would suggest definitely listening to it. Um, again, this is Canopy, and I am listening to The Great Courses, and then Geolocation is episode 14. So, um, yeah, hold on. I have my little agenda that I am trying to follow. Uh, I am doing this for a school project and I have decided to do podcasts because I thought it would be kind of ironic to um, do something that technically could get intelligence logged on when I'm talking about intelligence um, and gathering information and data collection with through smart technology and I'm recording this through my cell phone so I just you know I thought the irony was was too good not to do it this way thinking about it now I should have definitely just written a paper um, because final projects are a pain in the butt um, sorry Professor Lawrence I really do enjoy your class um, but it's been it's been very interesting getting to read all this and so my itinerary like for this I'm trying to make sure that I talk about all that I want to in the time span that I have um, and make sure not all of it's fluff, it's stuff that you're actually getting. I'm sorry because I'm sure this last minute was kind of fluff. It was not my intention. So, back to this. Um, so, uh, even when the, un the, the telephone was invented, the uh, that's... Uh, terror, not terrorism, I'm sorry, data was being collected and 
they um, they didn't have many rules back then. There are so many different rules now that um, although how the government looks at terrorism is completely different, they have much, much, many, many more, much, many, either which way, um, they have so much more there, that's better, restrictions on what they can and can't listen to. They can't just decide to tap into someone's phone and listen to whatever they want. They have to have probable probable cause and um, because it's a huge violation of privacy. Um, now, you have things, which I just learned the other day, not even looking for this project specifically, but I was learned that you can... Um, when they say your call may be recorded and listened to later on for um, data purposes, you know, that, that whole thing that they do, um, that's actually a major thing. And you, they have data analysts going through and looking at all of the stuff being said, and they do statistics on it. It's a very, very interesting topic, um, data collection. And this is kind of one of the reasons why I chose it, just because I just, I just think it's intriguing. Um, it's not something that I would make a career out of, but it definitely is an interesting topic. Um, so let me see. I've kind of written stuff out that I've wanted to talk about, um, because that's what you should do. At least I think so. And some of the podcast things that I've read online say that this is what you should do as well. So, um, at bullet points, just like whenever you're making a big speech. Um, so we talked about it being through before the Cold War and how it was gathered, and then they put the wall in put into place. And so after 9-11, they were concerned about... Um, they were just put on guard because obviously our nation was attacked and they were like, okay, we need to prevent this. So they automatically went into reactive mode and started changing laws as simple as a month later to where they could go in and they could start tracking data much, much faster than, than, um, typical. And, um, so because of this, um many there was there was a lot of civil uproar uproar because their privacy was being infringed upon and and that makes sense you know people are like hey 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 you put these things into place but that's not it doesn't work for our privacy and so they had to go back in and rewrite a bit more um, and so, ooh, one of my, I have like 15, actually probably more like 30 different tabs up, and I just popped into one about the Cold War, and how in 1989, um, obviously the demise of the Soviet Union, and it's just, I'm not kidding, y'all need to look this stuff up, it's really interesting, um, 
And I'm sorry because I'm jump hopping, skipping all over the place. That is not my intention. I'm just that kind of that kind of person when I talk. Um, okay, let me get that Patriot Act back up here. I had it. Mm. And you can actually go on to like justice justice.gov or there's so many. This is the Department of Justice that I'm looking at, and I have the Patriot Act just pulled up. There's so many resources online. You just have to get out there and look for them. Um, Get out. Be active. Know what your government is doing. And I feel like that's going around everywhere lately. I just watched the movie Robin Hood. And that mentality of stand up and talk and take a stand for your government, against your government, for your government, how you want your government to be ran... That kind of that kind of talk is everywhere right now, and I really think it's motivating and it's cool. Um, just make sure that you're, you know, you're looking for your sources and um, you're checking your sources. That's something we learned a lot this semester of checking your sources. But so, like I was saying, this is the Patriot Act, um, and it so some of the little bullet points it says it allows law enforcement to use surveillance against more crimes of terror and then it talks about before the patriot act courts could permit law enforcement to conduct electronic surveillance uh to investigate many ordinary non-terrorism crimes such as drug crimes mail fraud and passport fraud um Agents could also attain wiretaps to investigate some, but not all, of the crimes that terrorists often commit. The act enables the investigators to gather information while looking uh, into the full range of terrorism-related crimes, including chemical weapons, um, the use of weapons of mass destruction, killing Americans abroad, and uh, terrorism financing. So... This act just kind of refined what we, what our government was able to look into. And they have to have probable cause. They can't just go all willy-nilly into our data and um, look into it. But they, they do have to have some sort of, okay, we think this is a concern. And doing their best to be proactive without actually... Um, without infringing on our privacy rights as citizens of the United States. Um, it also kind of broke down that wall, or at least created a bridge or a door through that wall um, that was created back after the Cold War to kind of help... Um, make it easier for the FBI to look into intelligence stuff and collect data because without that data um, some of that we wouldn't we wouldn't necessarily be able to be proactive now I'm not saying that we should give up all of our our rights um, and just let them you know listen to anything I don't I mean the 1984 Orwellian Society of Surveillance is not what I think is an idea society to have. Um, That was actually kind of the basis for my 
for my project. I just, I love um, that book. And the idea is, is so intense that that could, that's actually, that could actually be our future. And in some ways it really is. Um, hopefully I'll figure out how to do comments below, but I would love to hear your input on how you think, um, if you've read the book, if not, go read it. There are audiobooks online if you don't like reading. Um, but tell me what you think, how close our society is to an Orwellian uh, 1984 surveillance society. Um, so, back to the Patriot Law. Um it also allows for the law enforcement to conduct investigation without tipping off terrorists. It allows federal agents to ask a court to, uh, for an order to obtain business records in national security terrorism cases. Um, and that is the first part of the act. Um, there's four different parts. One talks about facilitating information and sharing and cooperation amongst government agencies so they can better connect the dots. And this is where that wall was bridged and um, created so, um, the, so the agencies can work together and don't have to hide information from each other. Um, as, and it says here, as a result of an investigation that included the use of information obtained through FISA, prosecutors were able to bring charges against individuals. So, because of this, we were able to figure things out. And um, let's see, it talks about the train for jihad in North Virginia. Um, and they, it talks about how from 1999 to 2001... Uh, there were terrorist training camps in Pakistan and Afghanistan, and so with this Patriot Act, they were they are now able to work more towards um, working as a team to get rid of or to better surveil. I think that's the right term. Um, terrorism around us so we are or potential terrorist attacks and that really is the the goal of all of this um i mean i i understand that lack of privacy is not ideal but the but so many of the government's conversations were where does privacy end and protection begin um how much privacy are you willing to give up to be protected and I think that's part of where the wall was put into place but um that's that's some of the main main questions what are you willing to give up so that you can be protected by the government but with that how much are you willing to let the government know about your life? My dad is one of those people that covers up his uh, webcam. He doesn't use his phone much. And um, he's not nearly as concerned as the 
the man from the movie Red, um, the one that carries the little pig around and lives underground and does everything by paper. Not nearly that concerned, but he is very, very aware of all that is around him. And I think that's good. Um, he takes it a little bit, a little bit too far sometimes, but it's not too bad. Um, so, um, we've talked about the Patriot Act. We've talked about... Hold on, I've got to find my little agenda. We've talked about the Patriot Act. We've talked about somewhat of its evolution during the United States, uh, throughout the United States. So we've talked about the laws and FISA and um, also something that's interesting is there was something called No Foreign Act. And it was an, an Intelligence Information Act that says that we could not share our information with foreigners. Um, so that was something that I read that I thought was kind of interesting. Um, another thing that I have written down here that um, part of the uh, issue um, with what happened with 9-11 was that... Um, uh, hold on, where's it at? I'm so sorry. Um, that the NSA didn't know the information, where they were getting their information from, and if it was um, from a restricted FISA source or an unrestricted non-FISA source. So depending on where that source was from, it de um, was if they were allowed to actually use it or not. And so there were so many issues that... Um, kind of played a part in the 9-11 and the concern about terrorism beforehand. I mean, obviously 9-11 was a very big deal, but, um, and it changed, it changed our country forever. Um, but this was just these, and I, and I didn't know how deep, um, all of this went until, you know, creating this project. And, you know, obviously you go to college to learn about these kind of things and, you know, get more, I don't think cultured is the word, but you go there to get, you go come here to gain knowledge. And some of the stuff that I've learned from this class has just been amazing. Um, and I'm not just trying to butter up my professor to get a better grade, I promise. It really has just been so cool to um, to learn all of these different things. So, um, we're going to briefly touch on historical terrorism, and then we're going to talk about um, the next few podcasts. I'm going to give you an outline of those, and then I will see you for the next podcast. Um... So historical terrorism, like I said, it's gone back for many, many, many years. And, and years isn't even the right um, time stamp to put on there. It's been, gosh, since, let's see, this one after the Second World War. There's some before that that talks about the 
um, the Romans in the Middle East, Judas of Galilee, leaders of the Zealots, um, and, and espionage has always, um, happened. We have spies everywhere. I mean, who hasn't seen James Bond and all the cool gadgets they have? Um, it's, I'm, I mean, I'm sure that spies nowadays aren't the same thing. Um, I'm sure because it's TV, but, um, historical terrorism is, is huge, and, um, so let me think, let me see, this one talks about the leader of the Zealots and its key influence of the Sakari. They believe that the Jews should be ruled by God alone and that its armed, uh, uh, resistance was necessary. Um, unlike the Zealots, the Sakari targeted other Jews they believed to be collaborators or traitors of the cause. The tactics employed by the Sakari were detailed by the historian Josephus. Oh, that's a cool name. Um, around 50 AD. It says they would mingle with the crowd, carrying short daggers concealed under their clothes with, oh, with which they would stab their enemies. Then when they fell... The murderers would join in the cries of indignation and, through this, plausible behavior avoid discovery. There are many other key examples of terrorism throughout history before um, the modern terrorism of the 21st. Guy Fawkes, a failed attempt at reinstating the Catholic monarch, is an example of an early terrorist plot um, motivated by religion. Another one that I found online talked about how they put um, Martin Luther King Jr. on the hit list as one of the most dangerous um, ethnic men alive um, because of his voice, because of his power. And after his speech, uh, he he became a threat to the government. And And although, you know, he did things, there were some things he did wrong. Um, the government did their best to talk about those things and uh, make those known to kind of make him not as much of a threat anymore. Um, so this is a, um, you won't get to see it, but I'll explain it to you. It is a map of the United, not the United States, of the um, world and it shows in 2017 the number of terrorist incidents. And so the highest amount is over in Southern Asia, over by India. And I'm assuming that's Iran and Iraq and that stuff. Um, and then, and it says that's about 5,000. So Iraq is about 2,466 incidents. And then Afghanistan looks about the same with 141, uh, 1,414, sorry. Um, I mean, they're lacking about 1,000, but that's still very high. And then actually the United States is only at 65 incidents. Um, interesting enough, Somalia and the Philippines are very high up there as well. Um, let me see, India, and um, surprisingly though, that the United States only has had 65 incidents compared to 
Iraq and Afghanistan and Pakistan, um, not even coming close to the Philippines. And actually, interesting enough, Colombia has more. Um, I think the one place with, um, there's a few places with no data, like uh, Greenland and um, Morocco. And then the very few places are uh, China. China only has about six. So this is a very cool interactive map. And you can actually find it on ourworldindata.org. And I am focusing mainly on terrorism. Um, And so this is just, and it's a huge, it's a whole page on all of the different terrorism attacks. And this one is showing after 9-11 all of, actually, no, sorry. Yeah, no, I'm right. After 9-11, how many different attacks we've had um, with us not even being ranked in the top 10 for attacks. Um, So, let me see where I'm trying to get at. Um, So I'm going through all of these different charts and maps. and This really is just a great, great website for um, information. And again, it's called Our Our World in Data. Um, So... We were talking about historical terrorism and then terrorism after 9-11. And they categorized, I think we talked about this, but they categorized it differently um, after 9-11. There was so many more different precautions taken. And, and, And again, this stems back from the Cold War when they, and I know I'm repeating myself, I'm not trying to. But I just think it's so interesting. Um, After the Cold War, there were so many laws that, that so many different ways that they changed how they dealt with it, how they looked. And now, um, segueing into, I guess probably the main part of my that we're that we're going to be getting into the main part of my podcasts is how current technology has affected it and that's what we're going to start talking about in the next one um it's going to be technology and government with the CIA the NSA and then the acts put into place for protection and how they screen for terrorism so although we've touched on some of that um already we're going to go a little bit more in depth with it and this was obviously an introductory uh one and we're just going to go through some of the different technologies that is used um, for terrorism, uh, for to catch terrorism. And, and probably, honestly, some of the ones used by terrorists themselves. Um, and so that will be our next podcast. Thank you for sitting in and listening to me. I hope you learned a few things. Um, comments down below would be great, uh, once I figure out how to do that. 
Um, thank you so much for tuning in. Hopefully this actually becomes viewed by people other than my professor. Um, and I am very excited to talk to you guys next time. Signing off for now. This is Rain Pettigrew. We'll see you next time. Hello, hello, hello. This is Rain Pettigrew. I'll be your host for this evening or daytime, whichever time of day you're coming in to listen to this. Either way, I appreciate you tuning in no matter what. Um, So today is the second installment of my How Smart Technology Has Affected How the U.S. Government Deals with Terrorism. So today we're going to be specifically talking about technology and the government. Um, My bullet points have the CIA, the NSA, and ACTS put in place for protection, and also uh, how they screen for terrorism. Uh, Hopefully we're going to be able to get to all of that in one segment. If not, I've got two more planned. So, um, we're going to start out with talking about cell phones. And, uh, cause there's so much, so much that happens with cell phones. It's, it's kind of insane. Um, so something that we're going to mainly focus on is location with photos and your phone. Um, it's called geolocation. So those are going to be our main focuses for the evening. Sorry if you hear clutter around my, um, adorable cat. Uh, is around making noise. So she's stepping on everything. Um, so we're going to start talking about something called an EXIF. It is an exchangeable image file format. Hold on. Sorry, my phone's being weird right now. Okay. Back on track. So, this is pretty much every picture you take has a digital code to it. And because of this digital code, um, they are the government or whoever, um, your cell phone carrier, anyone is able to track where you are and um, uh, where, specifically where your phone is at. Um, your phone has pretty much become... A tracking device uh, for anyone who has one. Uh, I was in the in a podcast that I was listening to. This man decided to. They went to China, and it's interesting because they chose not to take their phones, their computers. Uh, any kind of smart tablet, and um, they took their grandson, and so they decided that it would be okay if he took his took his Xbox, but that was the only thing they did. And then they made a Google account so that they could log on to and uh, communicate with those uh, their loved ones. And it was very interesting because. He and he pretty much was doing it because he didn't want to be tracked. And this man um, has done many, all of most of the podcasts that I've listened to for this research, actually, and all talking about technology. And so he's just overly cautious, which I think you know is good uh, in this day and age. And so, funny enough, he said that 
he did a Google account also as an experiment and he did a fairly simple password and it got hacked by the next time that he logged in there were already emails sent out to other uh, people uh, through this email all of his contacts and he was getting some crazy he called them nefarious emails that he assumed if he clicked on something bad um you know would there was there was a bad link to it and um and so he kind of used it as an experiment to see how fast his account would get hacked over there by the cartel or the drug lords um she also made this really interesting comment tying government to drug lords um, and how, you know, the drug lords are only, the government allows them so much and it, that's, that's a, it could be a whole nother segment on just how the government is involved with drug lords and what they let them get away with and how many people are actually involved and just so much and I'm bunny trailing so I will get back uh, so these exifs um, are there so the description online was exchangeable image file format is a standard that spe specifies the formats for images sounds and ancillary tags used by digital cameras scanners and other systems handling images and sound files recorded by digital cameras and so that can be your phone your tablet your computer um, I know I mentioned this last segment but you know how um, your overprotective dad says put on your camera put something over it that's why um, because they're able to many places are able to hack in and get some of that data so um those paired with something called geolocation which is something that we're going to spend a good amount of time on tonight um those are something that are used by the government often. Geolocation is actually a really, really interesting um, field or area of study to look into. Um, so we're going to talk about something called the Stingray. And that is a surveillance device that simulates cell towers pro uh, promoting the roaming signal of a cell phone to register it with the phone number and unique electronic ID number. And this is really, really interesting because they are, this is the government trying to find information on um, terrorists and people that are concerning towards the government. And what they do is instead of going through the phone companies, which is apparently a long and tedious uh, process what they do is they created the stingray and it is um, uh, let me see if I can find uh, the US let's see right here this says the US Marshals sorry I have tons of notes written out and just so I don't lose track and obviously I kind of am but still you know uh, it's a podcast for you you just you go where the information takes you oh I like that uh, so, this says that, uh, one of my notes here says that the U.S. Marshal 
marshals fly planes carrying devices that mimic cell phone towers to scan the identifying information from American phones as it searches for the criminal suspects and fugitives. Now, this is what the Stingray is. So the planes act as a cell phone tower, so our phones will ping to them and get our information and collect data. Now, with this being said, um, the government apparently picks up, they, they scan data for, I just like this word, so I'm going to say it again, nefarious uh, interests, um, due to terrorists or, um, anyone with concerning thoughts, at least towards the, uh, for the governments. And then again, the government is extremely paranoid. So it was really funny. Uh, my cousin came in to read some over some of my stuff just cause we took a break from work and she's like, um, is this supposed to be unbiased? I'm like, no, everyone has a bias. And she's like, good, because this is, this is kind of biased. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's okay since it's my podcast. So my professor will end up telling me if it wasn't supposed to be. But since it's my project, I'm pretty sure it can, it's my thoughts. It's how I feel. It's the information that I have gathered. So it's however I want to say it. And I almost said a bad word, but assumed that for my class project, I shouldn't do that. So, <laughs> um, so as I was saying, the government uh, goes through the data and then quickly gets rid of the quote-unquote innocent people data. Um, and let me see, because I have it written down here. Okay, so it says the government collects and... and the government collects, and according to the government, it discards data from innocent Americans. The Justice Department allows it because, uh, by arguing that it is minimally, minimally invasive and, is, and, the, and, an, and an essential way to attempt to track terrorists and criminals. Programs like Stingray eliminate the need to go to phone companies and ask for information. Just like I said earlier, uh, it is a extremely tedious process to ask the company, get a warrant, have all of that. And instead of that, they just choose to use items like the Stingray. So, um, this is something that actually, interesting enough, has been going around since about 1955. And when I did this, when I did this, um, chose this project, I was really expecting to see how technology has changed um, the government and how they observe those under their care. But what I actually found out is they've been trying to listen in on us for decades, which I guess makes sense. I mean, since the Cold War, and even before that, espionage, spies, phone tapping, that has been around since even before the phone was created. But after um, Alexander Graham Bell created the phone, they, they just kind of jumped on it. And it's been insane to read some of the things that I have um, on how 
before 9-11 how much we actually listened in our government actually listened in on conversations it's it's just kind of insane um so um they've they've just been listening in on us for decades and then and now recently with all the technology that has become um available to us so quickly they've actually had to put in so many different privacy acts so the government is not getting information um it's it's pretty interesting so there's also there's one called um that is through whatsapp let me see where it's at uh i think i have this for my next segment but no it's in this one cool because I want to talk about it now. So WhatsApp actually has a privacy measure put in place called the end-to-end encryption. It's E2EE. Um, and it's completely, as completely unacceptable because of E2EE, which actually allows only the sender and the recipient of the messenger to receive its contact, to see the contents. Sorry, I said that weird. Um, and there's my cat jingle. Pardon her. Um, so it's really, it's just really interesting to see all of the different things that have been put into place because of the smart technology and how easy it is to track us. Like our phones literally, um, are, they're, they're a beacon and they just, um, every move can be tracked from it with reasonable cause. They can go through our phone and just look at everything, uh, and they can go back. That cookies. I mean, the amount of information being downloaded to the internet, the data that is being collected, is absolutely insane. Um, so let me see back where I was. Um, I'm so sorry about this. Uh, so. I really did. I expected to see a lot more um, things pop up that recently it's been just easier to um, spy. But really, it actually kind of has become, it seems to me, as if it's kind of become a little bit harder. Now for people that don't work for the government, super easy. They can hack stuff um, and we're actually going to get into drones in a minute and I'm really kind of excited for that. Because drones are kind of insane. And there's so much. The government, apparently for the government, it is actually um, one of, they called it a, hold on, where is it at? Um, Indispensable tool for the military. You know what, actually, we're just going to go ahead and jump into drones now because I just, I think they're interesting. So, uh, drones, or UAVs, or UASs, which is a UAV stands for an unmanned aerial vehicle, and a UAS is an unmanned aircraft system. They are drones. Uh, their, Their communication happens through an application or by a... Um, a controller. It is completely unmanned. Um, and so for the internet, not the internet, I'm sorry, for the, um, army, it's really nice because they don't have to worry about dispensing, uh, U.S. personnel with the chance of them being killed. Uh, 
Um, they said, so one of the first and one of the most popular drones out there is called a the Predator. And it's one of the main drones that the government first tried out. And since its success, it has become an indispensable tool for the military. Usage of drones have helped lower the risk of U.S. personnel and make and actually makes the vehicles cheaper to produce. I, I'm assuming it's because they don't have to worry about um, all of the safety nets. If the if the thing crashes, nothing gets hurt besides technology. Um, and they are, thankfully, as of right now, they are not autonomous. A human is always in control of the drone and I'm sure they're working on making it differently which I don't understand that but we're not going to get into the whole iRobot thing of this um we're not going to go that way with this segment that could be a whole nother segment just like the other whole other segment I was talking about um uh yeah sorry um they so they're not autonomous and as of right now all the human is always in control of the carrier and so it's really cool because someone I can be in Las Cruces New Mexico and be manning a drone for Wismer say say well let's do this say I'm, I am a uh, drone pilot for Wismer which is White Sands Missile Range in White Sands, New Mexico, which is like 15 minutes away from Las Cruces, um, 15:20, and I am trying to gather information, which it's a it's a missile range, and so there there's a lot of testing out there, and it's actually mo- mostly a civilian base, which is very interesting. Fun fact: they are trying to uh, Fort Bliss is trying to absorb that base because it is just mainly civilians out there now. Uh, it's civilians that are creating the missiles and the government's just doing testing for them. At least that's the information I was given or understood. You should always look into, you should always double check the information that you receive. And I'll probably say that next recording too. Um, cause I said it the first one. <laughs> so, um, uh, say I am working at Wismer. And I have a drone that is stationed in Iraq, say. I, um, and I'm flying it. I'm collecting data. And what can, what is so cool about these drones is I can easily, um, take a picture of anything I need. Say there's insurgents in the area and we have some people down on the ground and I need to get information to them. I can snapshot a picture and then I can just send it to the our uh, troops on the ground. They don't it doesn't go it can go to me, but it can it can ping off of those um the bars out there. Bars is the wrong word, I'm sorry. It can ping off the towers out there and simply um get it downloaded to those people, um, to our people down over there in Iraq. So it's an extremely useful, extremely useful tool for the, um, for the army. But also the downside to drones is they are extremely easy to be hacked. Um, 
another podcast that I was listening to said that um, they were they were doing something simple. Uh, four guys were doing races with them. And um, I think they were working with the Raptor. I might be saying this one wrong. Um, but it's a, it, it only, you know, flies 100 feet. Um, and it goes about 10 miles an hour. Also something interesting. Um, drones are pretty slow. The fastest uh, some drones can go is about 135 miles an hour. And that's that's pretty dang slow. Most of them range from, I don't know, like the simple ones, uh, like the man in this podcast. Um, his was about 10 miles an hour. So with his, his friend actually hacked into his um, drone and made him crash. So that guy was able to be a winner. Um and and it just goes to show how easily things are hacked and and with that we'll probably talk about smart tech smart cars for a minute um i had a conversation in my class in my geology class of all things my geology class about how um hackable things are getting lately he's a very very good professor and anyone reading this going to uh, listening to this going to nmsu you should definitely consider taking Dr. Ramos. He is a great professor. Got all the good dad jokes. His tests suck. Just FYI, his tests are hard. Okay. Sorry. Back to my subject. My professor's going to be like, Rain, why? Just stay on topic. Um, so, um back to things being easily hacked it's just um it's insane how how easily something if the correct firewalls aren't being put up and that's something that um we have hackers that can easily just get into the government's interface and just get whatever they need and they've had to have so many i feel like the government is always on reaction mode and I mean they've got some good take action um proactive things but I just a lot of incentives not things I should use better um nouns and adjectives I should just use better language in general so um they it is it's so easily uh hacked and the government is doing their best to make sure firewalls are put up to where they're not being hacked into. They, I've, I've seen that they'll hire hackers that are that hacked into their system to make their system unhackable because they don't want that to happen by anyone else. Uh, apparently, the Chinese hacked into some drones a while ago and um, was able to get some information. Um, back in the Cold War times, the U.S. government was actually listening. Oh my gosh, I apologize. My cat is stepping all over everything. Um, so back in the Cold War times, the U.S. government was actually listening on the Soviet Union and was uh, listening to them plan all of their... Um, malicious activities I like that word too 
And so, because, and they were using a secure singular line for communication. Now, um, because of them being hacked and listened into, most terrorists, um, let me see, I have it written because I had wanted to say it a specific way. So now terrorists, drug cartels, and other national states exclusively, um, no, I'm so sorry. They, my sentence was weird. So now they intermingle their communication into a data system that includes innocent, non-malevolent actors. And with this, um, it's harder for the government to listen in and uh, because there's so much other chatter and it's hard to single in on specific issues um specific keywords so back in the day they would uh, during um when the u.s government was spying in on the soviet union they would listen to words like launch or fire um but now uh being on a communication line where there's so many other people it's hard to um decipher that and um look into what's actually terrorist and what's just people having conversation and this you know this is part of why I think that uh, why I said that it's gotten harder for the government kind of to track. They have more guidelines to follow and they have more hoops to jump through. But they also, the technology, they, uh, the, the technology has made it harder for them to listen. Um, and, and it's just kind of crazy to me, um, that I, I just really, when I started this podcast, I ex- I expected for them to be able to track so much easier. And maybe they do. Maybe I haven't read the right article that says, yeah, this is, this is how much we've been able to uh, defer um, because we were looking into and um, looking through the... Um, looking through all of this data uh, and maybe I just haven't found that I don't know um but it's just it's been a very interesting read because I mean I've been reading for gosh the past two weeks all of this stuff and it might not seem like it I don't know I hope it actually sounds like I'm Telling good information about this and you are becoming an informed listener. That's my goal. I hope that's actually happening. If not, comments down below how you think it would, this podcast would be better. Because maybe, maybe just maybe, I'll start doing podcasts more. I was talking to some people at work last night and they're like, you're doing podcasts? Oh my gosh, tell me more. And I'm like, oh no, no, this is for a class program. Like, not program, this is for a class project. I'm not sitting here thinking, oh, this will be fun. Let's do a podcast. Completely different. Um, so, um back to the topic at hand um something else that we've talked about echolocation not echo wow geolocation we've talked about exifs and um 
And we've talked about drones. Fun fact, the Israelis were actually the first to start using drones back in the 1980s. Um, Also, another fun fact, drone traffic is illegal in certain areas, especially around Washington. They're um, within, I think it's 100 feet of the White House. You are not able to have a drone. There was a drone that accidentally was landed on the White House lawn. And... They flipped their lid, uh, security around there, because they were concerned, um, about how easily that thing could have had an explosive on it, and they were concerned for the president's safety. Now, I'm not sure if this was Obama or Trump, um, I didn't get to read a date on it, but either way, they were extremely concerned and decided, oh no, no, this can't be a thing anymore. So they very quickly put laws into place to where you cannot um, have drones flying in that area. Uh, It was not acceptable. So, um, I have it on here that some of these areas are not allowed, even for silly ones. Um, The silly drones that only fly up to 100 feet. Uh, Yeah, those are my notes, guys. Welcome to my life. So, um, we've talked about some uh, internet surveillance. Um, something interesting that happened, uh, over in the UK. The UK actually has an Investigatory Powers Act. It was, uh, it was out of 2016, and it's an act of the Parliament of the United Kingdom that has been passed by both the House of Parliament and the Queen. Um... It's different parts come into forces on various dates from the 30th of December 2016, and that gives you no information about that. I thought I copied the right information. This is from uh, Wikipedia, fun fact of the day. <laughs> I, um, before taking this class, I probably wouldn't have used Wikipedia, um, but my teacher taught me this awesome thing about Wikipedia, the sources that are found, because they're actually, Wikipedia is a really, really great starting port, point. So, so sorry about that. Back on topic. So, um, part one of this is general privacy protection. Um, it deals with prohibiting against unlawful obtaining of communications, abolition or restriction of powers to obtain communication data, uh, yada yada. This is found on legislationgov.uk. Um, and you can definitely find, I don't know, I just like I said last time, Google your information, find good sources, and see, um, find if, uh, your, if your information is actually correct or not. Be informed. Learn your stuff. Um, part two talks about the lawful interception of communications. Um, it says warrants are allowed, um, for obtaining secondary data. Um, and then there's the subject matter of warrants that you could go into, power to issue warrants, approval of warrants by the judicial commissioners. So it just, um, this Privacy Act is UK's kind of version of our Patriot Act, it almost seems like. And it just goes into detail about how data can be collected. And and again, it just seems, it seems more and more so that the government has created restrictions on themselves to make sure that the 
public is not, that its privacy is not being um, abused. And, but also, then you have the terrorists who don't really mind and then will go ahead and get that stuff. But also the government seems to do that too. You know, they have their undercover stuff that, although they say they're not doing it, they have those loopholes. And there's just, you know, you find loophole. Oh, you, you just find loopholes, however you need. Um, and it's, there was this one that I was reading, it's called Privacy versus protection um and oh this is interesting it's a it's technology and tragedy how the government uses terrorism to justify surveillance i have tons of tabs open and this is by the new statesman um just because you know i want to have tons of stuff open for y'all because i want y'all to i want you to you know be informed like i've said probably four times now but you know i'm apparently a repeater I'll learn. I'll get this stuff figured out. <laughs> so the first headline it seems like a joke. It says, Google, comma, the terrorist's friend. Um, I don't know why I said comma. Sorry about that. I do that to my sister and friends. I'll be like, hey, what are you doing, question mark? One of my bosses got really mad at one night, but I digress. So this talks about how... Um, this whole headline, it's, this is where I got the E2EE from, and, um, hold on, let me see, I'm just gonna read you this little paragraph, it says, um, the first headline seemed like a joke, Google, the terrorist friend, shot in all caps, a daily mail headline, just two days after the Westminster terrorist attack, terrorist attack that left five dead and 50 injured. The paper was arguing that Google's search engine directed people to terrorist manuals, quote-unquote. But the phrasing was so ridiculous it seemed satire. Yet it wasn't. Nor was it alone. Another one was, what side are you on, WhatsApp? Yelled the son three days later. After it emerged, the Khalid Mossad, Masood, sorry, the Westminster attacker um, was actively on the messaging app moments before the massacre. Faced with these headlines, this home security, Amber Rudd uh, decided to make some of her own. Speaking to the Andrew Marr show four days after the attack, Rudd condemned WhatsApp, con- yeah, WhatsApp's encryption, encryption practices, known as end-to-end encryption, as completely unacceptable. That's, yeah, because E2E, which allows only the sender and recipients of a message to see its contents. It is impossible to know what Masood wrote in his last moments, justifying that her demand, justifyingly, her demands that the government should be allowed to access to all of its citizens' communication. Rudd said there should be no place for terrorists to hide. So, with this, this is... This is, again, um, that the thought process of um, privacy versus protection. And, and I think that's kind of a big topic to, you know, kind of talk, to talk about. How much, and I think I touched on it on the last podcast too, how much are you willing to give up to be protected um, you have crazy things like the Boston Massacre, you have this Westminster, you have as of recent and domestically the um, 
the Ariana Grande concert massacre. Um, there's so many different uh, terrorist attacks happening internationally and domestically. And the question is, is how much of your freedom are you willing to give up so that um, the government can protect you? Um, you know, we, we live in a society where anything can really be tapped and listened in on, um, with, um, by, by people that are in the government and out of the government, uh, in the government, they have a bit more restrictions and out of the government, um, there's a lot less that they, um, they, there's a lot more hoops they have to jump through. And, oh, I just dropped uh, dropped onto something that said uh, there are things now called e-police. And and I think that's important. You know, you have people that are looking out for the internet. And with our vastly and rapidly um, evolving in technology, like our society... We need those people to govern uh, to govern that, um, and and like I said, going back to that, this one here says privacy versus safety, which is more important, and this is um, over in the UK. Um, it says tracking online tracking terrorists online might invade your privacy. And this is where I actually found the Investigatory Powers Act. It's also known as the Snoopers Charter. So if you're curious, go look it up. Um, and and it just, you know, it goes through um, the recent attack in Manchester. Uh, the recent follows the recent terror attacks in London and Manchester. Uh, Prime Minister Theresa May reiterated her intention to regulate cyberspace to prevent the spread of extremist and terrorist planning. So, um, this is to help protect us from future acts of terrorism. And disclosing the intercepted content in real time isn't new, but is it intrusive in our personal lives? And that's, I think, the big question for the night is how, and this is from BBC, by the way, it's called Tracking Terrorists Online Might Invade Your Privacy. Um, How much of your freedom are you willing to give up? How much of your privacy are you willing to give up to be protected from terrorism? How much is the government saying that they're looking out for terrorism and how much are they actually collecting data on its, um, its, its people? Uh, and where do you stand on it? Do you stand on the side that says, yeah, um, I'm good. I don't have anything to hide. Protect me. Or are you standing on that side that's like, no, this is my business. This isn't necessarily for the government to have. And there's different ways of tracking terrorism. Again, comments below. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, so, although we talked a little bit about the Westminster tonight, we are also going to talk about it tomorrow night. Um, I have... Our next segment is called Terrorism, Domestic versus International.
So I'm really excited for that one. Our next one is also going to talk about other countries um, and wrapping everything up. So um, I might throw in a few little extra tidbits just for fun. I'm so glad you y'all joined me tonight. I feel like I'm talking about this as if I'm actually live. So in the end, uh, technology and government, um, the CIA and the NSA have been using technology for years um, to listen in on conversations and learn. That's why the Patriot Act, or that's actually why all of those laws were put into place after the Cold War. And then after 9-11, they went ahead and um, took those, some of those laws, not down, but they rewrote them so it would be easier for us to listen in. And since then, the, since technology, you know, as technology involves, our, um, our laws have to evolve. And so we talked about geolocation. I tried to say echolocation again. We talked about EXIFs. We talked about UAVs. um, Internet surveillance. We talked about your cell phones. Just, I guess, for me, this podcast is just so y'all can, you know, be aware of what your cell phone is capable of what our government is capable of, capable of and how technology has changed how we deal with terrorism um theoretically it hasn't changed too much it's given them more restrictions and has made the government try and find different loopholes i think um I don't know. We're going to explore more in our next ta- in our next segment. So thank you so much for joining me tonight. Again, my name is Rain Pettigrew. I am out of Las Cruces, New Mexico, doing this for New Mexico State University. And I will see you guys next time. Hello, hello, hello. This is Rain Pettigrew signing on again tonight um, to talk about terrorism yet again. This is my third installment of this series, and um, it's almost coming to a close. It's kind of kind of crazy. Um, we're going to be focusing tonight on domestic versus international terrorism. Um, we're going to go through some different uh, terrorist events. We're going to kind of talk about them and what happened. Um, and how the government dealt with them before and after, if it could have been maybe prevented, what could have been done differently, what authorities said could have been done, and how technology could have assisted in these, um, and maybe how technology did, um, maybe they caught it soon enough, um, So, one of my first things on here is 
food for thought. And this goes with the Westminster terrorism. Um, and we're going to touch on the Palace of Westminster uh, and the London Bridge, although that was not in the U.S. I think it was. it's an interesting topic to talk about. And um, both of them are part of an Islamic movement. Um, and they used vehicles for their mode of, uh, or their weapon choice. And I was reading online and I agree with it totally. This is a low cost, low planning, um, way to create a terrorist attack. They don't have to, the planning is very minimal. The, it just... It, it seems to functionally work for them. I'm not saying I condone it. I'm just saying it seems... Um, I understand why they chose it as their venue. Um, less planning. Easier to get access to. Um, and, you know, it just... It kind of... It's high... Low cost, low planning, high fear... And high fatality and high impact. So it just, it's an easy way to evade the government. And so um, the Westminster terrorism uh, attack happened um, at the Palace of Westminster, obviously. Um, there were six killed. Um, the person that did it. His name is Musoud. I, I say his name wrong every time. Um, and he was um, stabbed and shot, actually. Um, and that's also something that we're going to kind of talk about is what has happened to the assailants after the fact. Um, and we're going to discuss how the our government kind of does it differently than other governments. And that's one reason why I wanted to bring in this. Um, so, the other one, the London Bridge. And this all happened in about... this. Both of these events happened in 2017. London Bridge was three different assailants. All of them were shot by authorities. They also were part of an Islamic movement. And they actually killed eight people. Um with a vehicle, and they also all had knives attached to their arms, and um, after they ran into people, they jumped out and they stabbed people. So, um, there's a debate going out, uh, out there about domestic threats being treated the same way as international um, threats, and how we deal with them differently. Um, there's a debate, debate on this paper that I read. Let me see if I can find which one it is. I have so many tabs open. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm on the right one. Um, let me see. Let me find it. I had it highlighted, but you know how that goes. Clicking on other things. Um, I'm so sorry. I had this all set out. Mm, hold on, let me think, let me see. Um, so it says, by what, but while the attorneys general, uh, the attorney general's labeling the, labeling the attack of a domestic terrorism was important, 
and stands in stark contrast to pe- President Donald Trump's reluctance to use the terrorist label while referring to fields, and even more worrisome persistent moral uh, ambivalence between the protesters on the right preaching and indeed using violence and the counter-protests on the left speaking out against them. It does not change the fact that there is no federal crime of domestic terrorism in which uh, the fields can be charged. And this is talking about, I'm on an article by the Foreign Policy, talking about James Field, who um, on August 16th, um, took a vehicle and plowed through a crowd that was demonstrating, um, against alt-right gathering, against the alt-right gathering. Sorry about that. Um, so this was in Charlottesville, Virginia, and, um, and I'm gonna laugh if I got that wrong, but I know I didn't. Um, so... And this just kind of, this, this is, um, like I said, from the foreign policy. Um, and this isn't the first time that we- weapons have been used as uh, terrorist attacks. And this is also why I brought up the other two, um, why I brought up the other two, uh, Palace of Westminster and London Bridge. Just as, you know, that it's been happening recently, lately. Um, there's been a rise in... Um, terrorist attacks using vehicles and let me see if I can get to it real quick because I have I have this really cool chart up that shows um, all of the years um, and how many different here it is haha <laughs> okay so it's terrorism cases after 2001 and so 2017 um, let me see if I can find it. 2017, there were 32 acts of, um, terrorism, and, uh, these were all charged within the, uh, in 2000, I'm so sorry, 2017, all of these were charged, um, in the United States, and only one of them actually was deceased, and that was Musa. Musa El Hassini. I'm so sorry I'm butchering these names. Um, so you have people like Everett Aaron Jameson, Sean Andrew Duncan, um, and you have 2017 New York Lower Manhattan car ramming, another car ramming. Um, let me see, some of these actually have. Um, you have the 2017 Squareport Authority subway bombing, um, which I think bombing takes a bit more planning, um, than just a simple car ramming. Um, you have the 2015 ISIS plot, and there's a debate online talking about how, um, that we don't deal with ISIS the same way we deal with domestic attacks and that's part of this foreign policy um this foreign policy article i'm so sorry that i've been reading it's uh it's about nine o'clock over here and you're just getting a little bit tired i've been working all day and so but 
I still promise to give y'all quality information. So, um, so this, this right here says, federal law would allow the United States to charge the terrorists who use their vehicles to kill and injure scores of people in Britain, France, Germany, and Spain with terrorism offensive, offenses if committed to in support of a foreign terrorist organization like the Islamic State, even though these acts occurred outside of the U.S. territory. Um, but it does not provide for a terrorism charge against fields for the same type of terrorist attack activity during right uh, occurring right here in the heart of U.S. It is time that our federal crime law recognizes domestic terrorism for what it is, the moral equivalent of international terrorism. So, um, to be clear, that's not that there are inadequate criminal statuses on the book to ensure that fields can be prosecuted appropriately, and if convicted, um, serve a lengthy time in prison for his heinous crimes. Uh, he is actually currently charged in Victor- uh, charged in Virginia State Court with second-degree murder, aggravated malicious wounding, malicious wounding, and other offenses for which, if convicted, he could face up to a lifetime of prison- imprisonment. So, um, that's a little bit of what the article says. And um, like other domestic terrorists before him, state law can ensure just punishments for crimes like these. Scott Roeder, an anti-abortionist extremist who in 2008 shot and killed an abortion provider in church in Wichita, in a church in Wichita, Kansas, was convicted of first-degree murder in state court. Um, something interesting also. Um, uh, I was looking at uh, different convictions and... Um, Looking at intelligence, the collecting, they the U the U.S. government would not uh, allowed a um, child uh, allowed a pedophile to go um, uncharged because they did not want to give up the information on how they caught him um, and all of the stuff on his computer. Really interesting. Um, another weird thing that the government does, I, I personally think, but it just was another interesting read. Um, again, I've read, there's so much information and I just, I think that's the good thing about college. You get to read up on so much, um, and you just learn. So, um, this man was convicted of the first degree murder, uh, in state court and he was sentenced to life in imprisonment. Um, there was another guy who in 2009 sh- killed and shot two people and he had wounded i think about seven others um a- out in a churchville in Knox a church in Knoxville ten- Tennessee motivated by the hatred of liberals and democrats he also pleaded guilty to state uh, murder charges and received a life sentence without possible parole um these are all federal cry- hate crimes uh, which uh, fields may be charged after the Justice Department completes the civil rights investigation announced by the Attorney General last week. Um, and that's what this, that, that little bit that I just read, um, that was, I think, starting from their federal hate crimes, um, that little bit was from foreign policy. I mean, all of this is from foreign policy, but that was not paraphrased so 
Um, that was straight from the article. So, um, I don't know, I guess the conversation is, uh, what do you, how do you think domestic in, uh, Domestic violence is not violent. I'm sorry, wrong word. Domestic terrorism is being dealt with versus um, international terrorism. Um, now, people are convicted, and I I feel I personally think that there's a bit more. Um, people are a bit more. What's the word? Um, concerned about like people from the Islamic State um, if they came over here we just you know are uh, having a t- terrorist attack you know stemming from 9-11 those kind of attacks just scare us a bit more um, and so uh, I think that now recently there's been so much domestic um, terrorism all the shootings I have this list right here hold on Wikipedia is the bomb just saying um and it, you know, it talks about the different terrorist organizations. And then it goes into domestic terrorist attacks. So you've got the Mountain Meadow Massacre, the Milwaukee Police Department bombing. And these are all, I mean, these are super old. The most recent being the Orlando, in this one, being the Orlando nightclub shooting. Um, the most recent one that I can think of, and I know there's been more since then, but um, it was the Ariana Grande concert. And I'm trying to remember where that one was at. Hold on to the Google. Sorry, I wish. Oh, it was in Las Vegas. I knew that. Um, so it was at Manchester Arena. 22 died. And um, I, had a, I had a few people that we had long debates over... Um, why ARs and different guns like that should be allowed because you know that happens but because it's so much easier to um, just go in and gun down the place but obviously by looking at all this other stuff you have bombs and you have um, you have bombs and you just you know ramming people with cars I mean we're not going to go into the debate tonight about if um, different guns, this is, that's not this, what this podcast is about. So, um, different gun laws, I should say. I don't think I said that well enough. So, um, but we had many conversations after all the shootings, because in the last two years, we've had quite a lot of shootings take place, school shootings, predominantly, um, to the point where schools have mandatory um, school shooting, not fire drills, but drills that take place to where, um, they're trained on what to do in a situation like this. And, um, and it's kind of horrific that this is the state that, um, in place that we live in. So, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's very, the world's crazy. I guess bottom line. So uh, we're going to talk about intelligence on it. 
and you know we've gone through some of the uh, massacres and obviously the major international terrorism uh, one that comes to mind uh, at the top of your head is probably 9-11 that was a huge huge one and I've talked about that so much throughout all of my different um all of my different podcasts I know just because it was so influential and it was crazy to crazy to see how um how that affected the United States obviously the Patriot Act was put into place and so many people were put on guard the NSA the FBI the CIA they changed so much about how they went about dealing with terrorism and um no I guess we just didn't kind of expect that and it's just it's been kind of insane listening to so um let me get back to my little agenda um so yeah hold on this was um so this was a food for thought that I had can we even trust that measures are anti-terrorist and not anti-democracy in the U.S. the FBI recently let a child pornographer free uh, go free because it did not want to disclose to a court the surveillance method used to catch him and see this is what I was talking about earlier and I know where I'm reiterating but I just want to you know um, say it correctly because I have my notes written out here and I was doing that off the top of my head um So when we choose moral issues such as terrorism uh, and child pornography to push through extreme laws, we are clouding the real reason why surveillance is installed. If if the child pornographer has gone free, what was the reason for the surveillance in state? Um, So, you know, that's that's something to think about. We have surveillance there for a reason, but... Um, and, and they're allowed, like, with, through the Patriot Act and through the different, the FISA and OFIR, um, the government is allowed to, with just cause, go through and catch people like this child pornographer. Um, and, but if they're not disclosing that information, what are they actually using that for? And I know this is not exactly what this segment was supposed to be, but it's it's a good question to have, I think. Um, what are we actually using our technology for? Is it actually being used for the good of the people? Or is it being, you know, misused and used as a, a way to spy in uh, and for the government to have more control? Uh, like I said in one of the earlier podcasts, uh, 1984 is probably one of my favorite books. And I, uh, I think that we get closer and closer to that kind of society where history is rewritten daily and, um, surveillance happens everywhere. Now, Facebook and let me see, I have this. I have another, let me find it because I found this really cool thing talking about how um, Facebook and um, 
here it is. Okay, so uh, while larger com- tele- technology companies such as Facebook, Twitter, and Google, Microsoft have developed an emerging normative uh, framework based on self-regulation, smaller technology companies um, often do not have the capacity to effectively anticipate, mitigate, and distrib- uh, disrupt the exploitations of their services. Even the smallest app is vulnerable to spread uh, to the spread of violent extremes with this uh, and with this comes a significant reputation and operation risk so um, this is saying you know big companies have gone through and made sure that their firewalls are up they're taken care of but you know smaller startup companies they don't really have the have the ability to um, take care of that they're not fully equipped um and this is from the chathamhouse.org um the royal institute of of international affairs it's called technology against terrorism how to respond to the exploitation of the internet um and you know something that it also makes me think about is with the internet easily hackable what else you know we're we're talking about smart cars um coming out in the future i mean we already have smart cars but cars that are autonomous and that can actually you know drive for themselves how how smart of that actually is it for us to have when we when when stuff like drones are so easily hackable when when technology is so easily hacked why would we allow ourselves to live in that kind of i robot mentality um and that's a movie i think with will smith and where we create a rope we create a robot that um is able to think and do for their own i know i'm not saying that's a bad idea but um you know like for example the twitter bot that was created i think her name was tay tay um and she was shut down with i think 40 within 48 hours of her being opened uh being turned on because she gathered all the information from the internet and turned into this like elite racist that just wanted to kill all the Jews uh, and said so many terrible things why um, just think if that if Tay-Tay was made into an actual robot that could you know move live and maybe not live it's probably not the right word but could take action and and just think about if Tay-Tay was actually able to get out there and um I mean, go on to the internet and hack into things and and do stuff. Um, The concern about robots, in my mind, and I think I'm going to touch a bit more on this on the closing up section because I really need to focus back on my my other topic. Um, But the, the intrigue and the concern that can be caused by um, new technology being made is, is quite apparent. I think we've got tons of movies, tons of research to prove how, you know, how concerning it can be. Um, so back to domestic violence versus international violence. Um, 
you know, a lot of these articles are talking about Charlottesville. And uh, in this one, President uh, Donald Trump calls out the KKK and neo-Nazis and other hate groups condemning violence. And this was in August of 2017. Um, after first criticizing actions on many sides, Trump finally gives a full-throated uh, condemnation two, two days later. Uh, the days after that, he said there is blame on both sides. So, obviously, he's kind of, you know, flip-flopping back and forth. But um, he said he was quick to denounce uh, the radical Islamic terrorist attacks which was widely criticized for taking long explicit uh, for taking longer to explicitly condemn white nationalists. And so there's this debate on how we deal with um white national terrorists versus Islamic international ter- terrorists and why are they dealt with differently? What is what is the purpose? Is it because they are from the United States and they should, um, you know, be treated differently because they're one of our own? But don't, and my thought is, don't they lose their right to be thought of as one of, one of our own um, whenever they choose to... I guess that would be uh, considered friendly fire. I mean, I know everyone, uh, you know, people that do this think they're, think they have a just cause or, you know, it's just plain old revenge. Everyone has their reason, but those reasons should all be dealt with the same way in my perspective. Um, And the question is, is why aren't they? And is there anything that's being done to... Um, change that. Now there are some laws put into place and there's some stuff out there that they are working towards that. Um, This here says that 20% of the cases to do with internet related terrorism prosecutions involve someone young. And that's kind of crazy that there's so much young, that, that the terrorism out there then is, is just, is young. And, um, and it's targeting young too. It's and it's targeting our future. Um, and I don't know if that's the mentality behind it. Um, but it's just kind of crazy. So it says that twenty percent of cases to do with internet-related terrorism prosecutions involve someone young. Youth could uh, often be deemed by the judge up to nineteen years of age. And punishment involved time uh, in a younger offender's institute. One example of this was a sick, sick girl who converted to Islam and self-radicalized um, when she was just 15. Another interesting trend is that in the subset of the 2018 data was that 60% of internet-related counterterrorism prosecutions had to do with materials shared with uh, that with the Islam uh, shared that with that was islamist by nature 40 percent had to do with the far right that included hatred against black people jewish and muslims so you've got this you've got this interesting balance between white supremacists and um islamist and both of them have the same mentality of we are better and this is, you know, um, Islamists do it for Allah, and that is their thought process. It is, um, 
their, hold on, how am I trying to say this? Their path, their plan to, for Allah to go, to go to heaven, to wipe these people out. And, um, it is the path that they have been selected for their higher purpose to rid the world of these I would assume in their mind they're thinking degenerates however however their thought process is um but that is 20% that is 60% of the internet related counterterrorism prosecutions um and then like I said the other 40 is the far right people uh and it's just I don't know I just think it's insane how people are um their thought processes behind this what makes it what makes it okay I don't know um that's just that's my thought and I know I've kind of derailed from this I'm actually gonna go ahead and pause this one and do a part two um because I want to you know have a bit more inline thought process for y'all so for now i'm gonna go ahead and sign off this is rain Pettigrew out of las cruces new mexico with new mexico state university and i will talk to y'all soon have a good night hello 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 it is rain Pettigrew back at it again this is actually going to be a second part um of my third podcast talking about international versus domestic terrorism. I just wanted to touch on it a bit more. I didn't feel like I covered what needed to be covered. So I have a few more things we're going to touch on and then we're going to call it good and then move on to the exciting future. Yeah. So um, something that I wanted to bring up Something about how we deal with um, looking out for terrorist attacks. So I was reading online and it says that most ca- most attacks were carried out by far-right violence uh, extremists. Or, um, uh, so it says most of them were carried out by them. But more people died during the attacks connected to the Islamic Jihad uh, extremists. So... Um, the white supremacists, they, they seem to be, or the, I guess white supremacists and far right violent extremists are a bit different, but, um, either way, they, they have attacks more often, but the Islamic jihadist extremists, they kill more people during their attacks. They... They desiccate and they get in there and also sacrificing their self at the same time. They um, they have a goal. They have it thought out and they their goal is to do as much damage as possible. So um, I was reading something about learning how to catch a terrorist. And it brought me to the Foreign uh, Intelligence Surveillance Act. And this is FISA that we've talked about before. So, and this is in section uh, 702. And it's a key provision of the Foreign uh, Intelligence Surveillance Act. 
that permits the government to conduct targeted surveillance on foreign persons located outside the U.S. with the compelled assistance of electronic communication service providers to acquire foreign intelligence information. The government uses the information collected under Section 702 to protect the United States and its allies from hostile foreign adversaries, including the terrorists, proliferators, and spies, and to inform cybersecurity efforts. So, this is one of the few technologies that they use to um, conduct target surveillance. Um, They use electronic communication service providers, and this helped um, with the... Let me find it. Where's it at? I just had this, so sorry. Um, this was talking about one of the major members of ISIS and how he was caught. Mm, and it looks like... Hmm. So, um... Yeah, so this was a major, major person in ISIS, and their, um, their dealings on catching him, and I have his name here, I will get it, um, but while I'm doing that, um, oh, come on. Either which way. Um, so, that was what they used. Uh, that's that's part of the law for the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. It is um, how the government helps catch terrorism. Uh, catch, and, and that's how they try and do it, to catch it early on. Um, and this allows them to, for overseas... To be able to, and it also, I guess, from what I'm reading, it it not only helps us, but it helps our allies that we're able to give that information away. So, um, something also that I read was talking about three different factors that have contributed to the evolution of terrorism threats. You have the internet, the use of social media, and homegrown violent extremists. So, with social media, um... So many people are able to get onto social media and look, and um, social media is actually social media has actually allowed both the international and domestic terrorists to gain unprecedented virtual access to people living in the U.S. Um, ISIS particularly encourages sympathizers to carry out simple attacks um where they are located against targets in particular soft targets or to travel to ISIS held territories in Iraq and Syria and join its ranks as foreign fighters so they use this as a modality of communication to find people that want to be a part of their um their movement and they're like hey all right you go do this or hey go do it over there it's social media has become a way to gain followers for their for their movement and it's it's pretty insane because you know you're able to you're able to do anything you have hashtags nowadays so you can easily go on there and 
write a whole bunch of stuff. You're angry one day, you write a whole bunch of stuff, and then um, someone messages you on Facebook saying, hey, you really feel this way? All right, let's, um, let's take some people out. Let's help you. Let's become, a, become part of our movement. And, um, you know, in so many ways how social media has been able to bring people together. Um, there's also a bit of bringing people together in the wrong way that it has allowed. Um, not saying this is social media's fault. Uh, I mean, every, everything has its, everything has its pros and cons. Um, so also the internet is a big thing. Google, Google search. I mean, you can do, you can look up anything on Google. Like I said earlier, um, some people blamed the uh, attack on Manchester um, because WhatsApp didn't allow um, people, sorry, Westminster, um, uh, it didn't allow uh, for the government to look um, at what was being done. And there were some people that were actually looking up terrorist guides um on the internet and blame and some people even blamed Google for it. So this technology is out there and it's crazy. And um it's it's relatively limitless. Um and then you have the you know the homegrown violent extremists. The FBI this says the FBI uh can't focus solely on terrorist threats um emanating from overseas we also must identify those sympathizing um sympathizers who have radically radicalized and become HVEs within the US and aspire to attack our nation from within they are defined by the bureau as global jihad inspired individuals who are based in the US they have become radicalized primarily in the US and are not directly collaborating with foreign terrorist organizations Currently, the FBI is investigating suspected HVEs in every state. So, um, you know, people are out there. People are, people get angry at something. People decide that their view is superior and they just, they, they take matters into their own hands. Um, and it's, and it's pretty scary sometimes. Um, something that I found that was interesting was most, uh, far right extremists, um, there was a poll done and it said that most of them used Facebook and, um, Twitter for communication, 75% Facebook and, and, um, 25% Twitter for their communication style. Um, interesting enough though, um, Islamists. They used so many different outlets, um, and to, I guess, try and throw people off. Uh, they used Twitter, Facebook, they used an encryption code, they used, um, I'm sure they, some people even used Reddit, I don't know, let me, I'm trying to find my, find my paper um and I, it's just it's it's crazy what all 
different um, ways are being used to create this communication line. And also, like we were talking earlier, the surveillance on it, it's, it's harder to do so because they're getting smarter about it. Um, and it's just, it's absolutely insane. And again, this, just like my cousin asked me earlier, is this supposed to be a, um, unbiased? Obviously not. These are my opinions and my thoughts going into a podcast. So, um, these are my personal thoughts from all of the information that I have gathered about the subject. I tried to keep it factual, but, you know, um... It only makes sense to put my personal thoughts into it as well. So, um, unlike the far right, uh, Islamic-related content was spread uh, in a variety of platforms, indicating that the perpetrators were getting better at hiding and spreading their messages. 30% was used using encryption, the process of encoding a message or information in such a way that only authorized parties can access it to communicate. So... They just, they, they choose to find ways to hide and technology has made it a bit easier for them to hide doing so. Um, so I just wanted to get on here and talk about that. That was pretty much all I wanted to add to it. So, um, this was part two of my terrorism versus, uh, domestic versus international. And I will see y'all next time for our closing segment, talking about, uh, wrapping it up and looking forward, um, and also some challenging questions. So I can't wait to talk to you guys next time. Have a great night. Bye. Hello, hello, hello. This is Rain Pettigrew. I'll be your host for this evening. Tonight, like the other nights, we have been talking about terrorism. And um, this actually is the fourth and last installment of this podcast episode. Um, We're going to mainly be wrapping everything up. And we're going to, so we're going to talk about some of the previous stuff. And we're also going to talk about looking forward and talking a bit more in depth about some technologies that are used currently um, and stuff that are going to be used in the future. We're going to bring up um, automated cars, facial recognition, um, audio recognition, uh, talking about um, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Um, So yeah, we're going to get going with social media platforms first off and we're gonna talk about how they first off how they describe terrorism um so their definitions of terrorism uh fall under two separate categories uh one with extremists in particular being spelled out in community standards on hate speech hate speech on facebook for example is seen as a direct attack on people based on protected care uh protected characteristics race ethnicity national origin and religious affiliations sexual orientation cast um caste sex gender and gender identity serious disease or disability and some and some protections for immigration status extremist 
content usually fits into hate speech category, as it often facilitates and calls for violence and dehumanizes those groups seen as others by making statements on their inferiority and calling them for their exclusion or segregation. So, that's social media. And, um, social media is actually used a lot, um, as a communication tool, uh, for terrorist attacks. Um, mainly used by, uh, by far-right extremists and by, uh, jihad informists. Um, so, um, they... Let me see what I'm trying to say here. Um, so, to something that can be used to stop social media being used as a platform, um, technology companies can do certain things. First, they can create new extreme or terrorism categories uh, within their existing reporting systems. Um, this would allow users of their platform including the public or people known to terrorism terrorists who are concerned for their material shared with them to report and flag multiple use use uh, issues with such me- material mm. so that can that's always an option um facebook and twitter do not actually have a good category to flag or report terrorist content content on their platforms um and on YouTube, actually, the only one category can be flagged. For example, a video can be flagged as violent, repulsive, or promoting terrorism, um, or hateful or abusive content. You, but you can't do all three of them. Um, overlapping nature of this material needs to be acknowledged. Uh, so, something else that's been that was that I found was really interesting was online gaming platforms and this has been around i mean online gaming platforms have been around for a while wow um made it pretty big uh but and even before that but they actually um use oh i'm so sorry they actually use it as a um a way of communication back when xbox came out um all those community chats they uh i think it was the bloods uh the ga- that gang they used it for a communication tool and it helped them uh with domestic violence and although we're talking about terrorism um i just thought it was an interesting thing and so online gaming platforms have a most of them all have online chats and you can connect with people all around the world and um the ability there to connect and talk easily and relatively freely uh, is out there and that's an ability and so that has been used um multiple throughout multiple different times for um terrorist attacks so um 
something that I wanted to talk about was some different technology that's used. Lately, the use of AI, um, artificial intelligence, has been skyrocketing for this. Uh, Dubai actually has smart police stations that are completely run by AI robots. Um, the station can deal with opening cr- uh, criminal cases, lost and found, and getting permits. It's super cool. They say that they are, um, thinking about getting rid of manned, like, person, actual human being, police stations. They're just thinking about getting rid of them. Um, there's no need for them. And I read that and I was like, nuh-uh, this is the coolest. Um, I personally, I... And I say it's cool because that's where our technology is. Um, I personally like being able to talk to a person. I'm not, I have not ever dealt with AI, but I just, I'm I'm a person person. So, um, they use AI a lot to sift through data. You have supercomputers and, um, uh other things like that that help go through huge amounts of data. Um, there's also a thing called blockchain registry, and it's a program that use, that's being used to help law enforcement catch large companies that are financing terrorist attacks. I saw that and I was like, well, dang, that's cool. So again, that is blockchain registry, and it is a program that uses, um, it's that law enforcement uses to catch companies that are financing terrorist attacks. Um, again, supercomputers just go through extreme amounts of data and flag anything that's concerning. Um, also something interesting, uh, you know, you have the debate of technology, is it helping or hindering? Um, you know, you have so many apps out there like Kick or Wicker or SureSpot or WhatsApp, which I've mentioned in previous ones, that they're encrypted, so the government's not really allowed to see what's on there. And this is another source of communication tools that are easily, easily accessible. And we can take it advantage of. Um, and being used in terrorist attacks. So, um, you have these supercomputers that help, um, weed stuff out. Also something cool, you have facial recognition called PacBots. It always makes me think of Jason Bourne and all of those cool super spy movies where they're going in and trying to find, um, that one person. And so they, um... They use the supercomputer and they're like, okay, here's the face. Find him. Um, I think it's super neat. Uh, there's also some up-and-coming up technology that um, is being used. And it's still being, the kinks are still being worked out. But there's something called shot spotter technology. And it's actually in about 90 cities in America. And they're strategically placed microphones in high crime areas to pick up any gunfire and alert the police of the location. Um, the technology still does need a lot of fine tuning. In some cases, 30 to 70% of the time, authorities have shown up and found no evidence of a gunshot. It is supposed to differentiate uh, a between a um, firecracker and a gunshot. But, you know, the technology just still needs fine-tuned. 
the big part of its effectiveness because crime has actually come down in those cities is the townsfolk know that it's there and so this that itself deters crime um its effectiveness comes from knowing that they have something around them that rats them out um other things you have crime mapping platforms you have gunshot detective systems just like i talked about right uh and then um smart lights Another thing you have is language pattern recognition, and those have been used to help as a main um, as a main help for catching terrorism before it happens. And they just go through and they start listening, and they and it flags stuff just like those supercomputers. They go through and they just pack, they load in all the data, and they go through it and see what's going on. Um, and they flag stuff and then let um sends it to I'm sure the the person running those machines. So um something I also found cool technology and I'm sure this was put into place uh or thought about soon after nine eleven. It's actually an elevator that has the ability to transport people extremely fast down to the lobby in case of um an explosive happening and they also have put into place systems uh, capable of detecting explosives in cars um i read somewhere that there's the ability um, for imaging systems to distinguish between the scaffolding on a wonder bra and the wiring on a bomb the the ability for differentiation through technology has just been amazing and i really think that that's one of the main things that has helped the us in uh, against technology is uh, not against technology against terrorism through technology is the different systems that are being able to be used to look through all of the data uh, and I mean it, there's definitely issues about infringing on privacy but where uh, another qu- a question that I brought up earlier is how much are you willing how much of your privacy are you willing to sacrifice for protection and security and some of these some of these different um technologies you know they borderline that concern of okay my my privacy isn't really um there's some that's protected but some of it's not and, and you know it goes through that system where it goes through if it's innocent it gets immediately kicked out um but there's other stuff there's other data collections out there um but the government definitely uses and so um my again my question is is privacy versus security where are you at on the on this um i would love to hear y'all's thoughts about it so um different counter-terrorist uh, terrorism possibilities of technology 
They're also almost as vast as the opportunities uh, it provides to those extremist inclinations. The ability to pursue terrorists uh, prevent... The ability to pursue terrorists prevent... Sorry, I wrote this down and then I'm just reading it weird. Um, So the ability to pursue terrorists prevent radicalization protect services, and prepare and defend against the potential attacks are key strengths of rapidly developing counterinsurgencies technologies uh, available to the government and private organizations. So what matters most is that these technologies continue to keep us one step ahead of the rest and moving forward. And that's that's that question of... Is technology helping or hindering? Um, Because when it helps the government, it's also helping the terrorists, really. And and terrorists don't feel bad about hacking into stuff and, and doing the things that the government has laws against being able to do. So, um, they have those, they don't have the guidelines that um, the government is supposed to follow. And so, yeah, that's kind of my, it's kind of my wrapping it up for the night. Um, I, this one's a little bit short and, um, but that was just, it, it, it was a good short to the point for the end of this, the end of this, um, podcast. I, um, I wanted to talk about how, um, smart technology is used to assist, uh, the prevalent watchful eye in terrorism. And I feel like I've done that throughout the past for things. I've shown you the different technology that we have, told you about the different laws that are enforced and um and we've gone back in history a little bit so I really hope you enjoyed these four little podcasts um this little mini series and um I hope to get to talk to you guys soon again any comments down at the bottom would be great I cannot wait to hear from y'all and I hope you have a fantastic night Thank you very much. Again, this is Rain Pettigrew um, out of Las Cruces, New Mexico. Have a good night.